All right, Psalm 119, let's go to verse, um, verse number 98. I'm sorry, 97. Verse 97, and uh, we, won't, we will read from verse 97 down to verse 104. All right, so let's read these, uh, these eight verses here, and then we'll pray together. Father in heaven, uh, thank you for uh, your grace to us. Uh, thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for your Word. Lord, as we look into your Word, the whole purpose of this psalm is to help us to understand what great practical value and usefulness and uh, benefit your word is to us. Lord, I pray that through our study here, even today, but through all of these weeks as we study, that you would work in us by your spirit to, uh, to make the word of God useful to us, that we would apply these things, that you would remind us of what these verses say. And uh, even as we study today, Lord, we just pray that you would help us to get at the truth. Help us, Lord, to hate every false way. Help us to uh, love good, love righteousness, and hate iniquity and evil. Uh, Lord, I just, I just pray you give us understanding and, and wisdom. Lord, you know that we need it. And uh, thank you for saving us. Thank you for uh, your grace, Lord, to provide what we need physically and uh, in our health, our finances, but especially what we need spiritually. And uh, we pray that you would uh, just bless our time together here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm, uh, I said I would read the verses and then pray. Behold, I made a liar of myself. Psalm uh, 119, verse 97, down to 104. Bible says, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get, I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now verse 97, I won't cover verse 97 because of its relationship to verse 103. They're very similar verses, but... We'll start in verse 98. I'll read those three verses because they go together, this, this little uh, triplet of verses. It says this, Thou through thy commandments hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. Notice that, wiser, more understanding. More than the ancients. This is a comparative, this is a comparative, uh, the word of God and its effect upon uh, the believer, in this case the psalmist, and upon us as compared to wisdom of, that, that is found in the world. Because we all know 
that in this world there is wisdom, right? There's what the Bible refers to it as the wisdom of this world. In other words, the wisdom that comes from human reasoning. And in the, in the, period, in the period of the early part of our country, in fact, m- many of the documents of our country, many of the philosophical underpinnings of our country came out of rationalism, human rationalism, which is not all bad, but what it does is it excludes anything that cannot be, uh, whose source is not found in human reason. And that's what human rationalism is. And you're going to see why that's important in a minute. But there is wisdom in this world. There is wisdom in this world. In this case, there's three things being compared from verse 98, 99, and 100. In verse 98, you have the wisdom of one's enemies. Number of verse 99, you have the wisdom of one's teachers. And verse 100, you have the wisdom of the ancients. Now, it says, he says, I am wiser than mine enemies. You th- so you think, of, you think of an enemy as someone who, and we've talked about this before when we talk about, about the pit that the enemy digs to ensnare us and to trap us. I came across a very good uh, quote from Charles Spurgeon. I'll read in a minute. But uh, the idea is the enemy is scheming and we're not even aware of it. The enemy is, and we might be referring to a, a demonic enemy like Satan, but we also have other enemies and people. Uh, you know, our church has been, you know, just laid out here because it's something that we're going to have to talk about at some point. You know, this, uh, in this world, some of these militant and radical um, I mean, I want to say leftists, but I mean, it's not even that. It's even further out than that. People that have agendas who, who view Christians, Bible-believing Christians, as enemies because of what we believe the Scripture teaches about human sexuality. Those things, we, we have been made the enemy. And they are, they, they are active, not all, but there are groups that are actively plotting to harm churches and to harm Christians as a result. And our church needs to be prepared for that and needs to be ready for that. Not only, and we're going to, again, we're going to touch on it today a little bit. Not only do we need to be prepared with the wisdom of God and our worldview that is grounded in God's word, the truth, but also in practical matters, dealing with our church so that as best we can, we can protect uh, our church from, from those that would do us harm. And that, you know, it's just a, it's an ideological version of the same kind of church shootings and stuff like that, that, that we all have read about on the news the last few years. Uh, you know, we have to do things to prepare for that and protect our church from that. But we also need to protect our church from ideological, you know, people slipping in under the guise of being a Christian in order to in order to affect change. I mean, because that's, it's happening. It's happening. And so I'm not trying to scare anybody. Ultimately, God is our defender. But through His Word, we have more wisdom than our enemies. They might be scheming. The devil might be scheming. We don't know their plans. We don't know their strategies. We, I mean, we don't claim any wisdom of our own. We don't claim to know the depths of Satan, as the Bible describes. We don't claim to know everything they're trying to do and what their plans are, but we do claim to know, and we hope we know, God's Word. And through God's Word, He defends us and protects us from these uh, these enemies. But we know more than them. 
And then in verse 99, it says, I am more understanding than all my teachers. Verse 100, than the ancients. That is wisdom that has been passed down from generation to generation to generation. Okay. In each of these cases, notice though, the psalmist is not, he, the psalmist is not boasting in his own wisdom, which is to say, I'm smarter than my teachers. I'm smarter than the ancients who have come before me. Help. I don't know why this is on my mind so frequently. And again, we're going to get more into it in just a second. But the philosophy of this world in what is called postmodernism, one, one, uh, one of its key tendons is the deconstruction of, of all the, the tested and tried and accepted wisdom of years gone by. That's why they want to upend it all. That, that, that's one of the key tenets is that previous wisdom should be dismissed and built from the ground up, and it usually ends up being like something like Marxism or some untested or poorly tested theory like that. That's just the reality of, of the, the philosophy of this world. And that is, I'm, I'm just telling you, that is directly from Satan. Amen. And it has nothing, that has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with politics, at least from our perspective. It has to do with attacking the foundations of truth. And... And so this generation, this generation does dismiss its teachers. This generation, these are, these, these are, the, are the kids that are going to college and they're sitting in college classes where professors with earned doctorate degrees, and I know that doesn't make you, you know, it necessarily makes you intelligent or it definitely doesn't make you wise in the sight of God. But here you have, from the world's perspective, you have kids that are sitting in college and a professor who is much smarter than this 20-year-old kid, much more informed, the professor says something that the ideological training of the, ki- uh, of the, of the, the young adult uh, conflicts with, and so he, they, make a, they make an anonymous complaint to the administration of said college. And now the, the idea is to overthrow and get rid of the professor because the professor said something that a 20-year-old didn't like. I mean, it's insanity. It's insanity. But see, that is, if they say something I don't like, get rid of them. They don't know anything more. Get rid of them. Get rid of the, the, the ideas of the, the ancients, the, that wisdom that has been passed down, that has, that has been tried and tested. Now, there's another part to this we got to touch on. But we got to understand, that's what, that's what, and it is so subtle, it is so subtle, but even among your kids and your grandkids, there's a very subtle philosophy that's being pumped to them. And I mean, it goes back to Disney movies in the 1990s. The idea of authority is stupid and you know better. And I, I'm not making a big deal over nothing. I'm, t- I'm just telling you, I observed it as a kid and it has been steady and it has been growing. Okay. So that's the philosophy of this world. The, the psalmist is not embracing that philosophy by saying, I'm smarter than my teachers. I'm smarter than the ancients. He's not embracing that philosophy. He's claiming no wisdom of his own, right? What is he saying? For what reason is the psalmist saying he has more wisdom than his enemies, than his teachers, than, his, uh, than the ancients? One reason and one reason only. What is it? The Word of God. The Word of God. 
So the Word of God tells us that a person who is a young person, who knows, believes, and lives by the Word of God, can have more wisdom than a teacher, than the ancients, who don't. The Word of God by itself uh, conveys a wisdom and imparts a wisdom that is alone greater than the wisdom of this world. All right, that's what we have to understand. The Word of God is what makes him wiser. He has no room to boast. He's not smarter. I mean, there are many, many... Listen, you look, just look at, look, at, look at the media. You have these people who are very, very intelligent. Very intelligent people. And their lives are wrecks. Their family life is a wreck. You know why? All this worldly wisdom and no wisdom from God. And you know what? The fruit of that is born. The Word of God makes a man wiser than these others because his source, the source of the Word of God is God. You see that? See, the source of human wisdom is bound at some point or another, at at some times or another, to have fault and to be built upon error and lies, right? And when that happens, the fruit of that error is going to be ugly and bad. But with with, uh, the wisdom of God in His Word, He knows all things. He knows the secret motivations of the hearts of men. He knows what drives them. He knows why they do what they do. And so it is actually God and His Word that make us wiser. You know what? One of the greatest insights you'll have into human um, nature is the Word of God. For example, for example, Human nature according to this world and human nature according to the Scripture could not be any different. Human nature in the world, they describe a a man as basically good, but through education, you know, some of the bad predilections of man can be suppressed and he can grow. In other words, mankind is, is progressing. That is the view of human nature in this world. But the Bible says exactly the opposite. It says human, human, human beings are corrupt, broken, fallen, Loves, loves sin and will do whatever is necessary to get it. Now that's a complete, which one's right? God's word is obviously right. But you know what? When we, when we live and we act upon that truth, well, we're going to view human, human beings differently. We're, we're, going to, we're going to act and we're going to make policies in our lives, make decisions in our lives that reflect that. And that, that will protect us personally, and it also protect us from others. You know, I, I saw the other day, there was a guy who was down here on the Old Buncombe Road. You guys have probably seen him at the corner of uh, Old Buncombe and where um, McDonald's is. He's a panhandler with his dog. He has a white dog. And he's, he, he has a little thing there where you can give, you can give him money. You know, I guess, I guess that's what he's, he's there often, like a lot. And I saw a young girl, she's probably, girl, she's probably 25, if I had to guess, standing there talking to that man. And that man might be totally harmless. I don't know that man. But she ought to be more careful. Well, he would never do anything. You see that? 
That's the subtle difference in philosophy. He might not, but you don't know him. But the presumption is he's good. He's a good guy. You see the difference? Just in that. Just that. Or you have the same philosophy among, among in, the, in the women's liberation movement. that women are, women are completely equal in all things, including physically. And it's a, that is a scientific fallacy. That is not true. It's just not true. It has nothing to do with the equality of women versus men in the sight of God or anything. But it is just a fact that men have greater muscle mass and men are by and large stronger. But you have this girl, well, I can do any of that. You're putting yourself in some danger. But if you know the Word of God... It's going to protect you. Right? Look at verse number uh, 90. Verse number uh, uh, 100. I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. This reminds us that this is as I said, this is wisdom that is passed down from generation to generation. Old wisdom is generally better, right? You know why? Because it's tested. It comes out of experience. But old wisdom is only better if it is, if it is true with God's Word, right? The mere fact of something being old does not necessarily mean it's true. You know, we talk about those of you that, you know, that can reflect upon the good old days by personal experience, right? In the good old days, were people good? Did people do good and live right? I don't know. I know, I know when, when you watch TV shows that are of that era, I know they, they do stuff that no Christian should be doing and being involved in. <laughs> In other words, it might have been not as bad as it is now, but they, it's not like they lived in, you know, you know this kind of heaven and then good old days. It's, it wasn't quite like that. I mean, even Brother Vernon tells us about how he poured out his beer so that he could, so that he could continue to uh, date Betty. They had beer back then? People drank it? <laughs> yeah, you, you laugh because that's, that's, sometimes you get this impression. Look. There are no good old days as long as they're since, since the fall of Adam. Amen. So even, even, even ancient wisdom must be evaluated and analyzed critically by God's Word. That's the key. Even people who are older must evaluate the wisdom that they have by God's Word. And certainly younger people must. All right, look at, look at the book of Job, if you would. Job chapter 15. I want to show you this uh, little fact about Job. Because in Job, there was a, this dynamic of, of uh, Job's three friends were older than he was. And so there's this dynamic where they use that as a trump card Say, we know what we're talking about. We're older than your daddy. I'm paraphrasing. And so let's see what that says. Job chapter 15. If I can get there myself. Verse 
verse number 7. Now Job speaks to Eliphaz, and here's what he says. Art thou the first man that was born? Or wast thou made before the hills? Hast thou heard the secret of God, and dost thou restrain thy wisdom to thyself? What knowest thou that we know not? What understandest thou? I'm sorry, this is not Job. This is Eliphaz speaking to Job. What knowest thou that we know not? And what understandest thou which is not in us? In other words, we're older than you. We know everything you know, basically. Right? And you know what? In a, generally speaking, that's, that can be true. All right? Verse 10. With us are both the gray-headed and the very aged men much elder than thy father. See that? Look at chapter 12. Verse number 11. <clears throat> now this is Job speaking previously. It says this, Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste his meat? With the ancient is wisdom. So Job is saying, older people have wisdom. That's what he said. And in length of days is understanding. With him is wisdom and strength. He hath counsel and understanding. So Job is acknowledging older people have wisdom. And that's why, scripturally speaking, in a church and in your personal life, among your family, there should always be deference for older people. But that doesn't mean that either older people or younger people listen to the wisdom of the ancients without any analysis, without any criticism or uh, um, evaluation. No, we listen, and we just like we, we must do, the Bible says, prove all things, right? Cleave to that which is good. So we evaluate the wisdom by God's Word. This is one trap that a lot of younger people get, get into, is that they, they, um, they lightly dismiss the wisdom of someone who is older and it doesn't carry the proper weight that it should, right? And that, that is a trap a lot of younger people get into. And so, uh, they, in other words, they don't know what they don't know. Yes, sir. God of Google. Hail thou, Google. Look at Job 32. The God of Google. It's true. Job 32. Now, at last, there's uh, Job's, this other friend, who's this fourth friend, his name is Elihu. Elihu was younger than all of them. So, here's an instance where a younger person gives wisdom that is better than the older people, right? Look at what he says in verse 6, Job 32, verse 6. And Elihu, the son of Barakel, the Buzite, answered and said, I'm young, and you're very old. <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> Would you get offended if somebody said that to you? I'm young, and you are really, really old. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm the, I'm glad the I'm glad the Lord puts little things like that just to. I'm I'm young and you're very old. Wherefore I was afraid and durst not show you mine opinion. You see the deference, right? I said they should speak and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty 
giveth them understanding. But look at verse 9. Now, this is inspired of God. Great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged understand judgment. Now, let me ask you a question. At what point does that break down like Elihu is describing? The Word of God. There's a lot of people that are 80 or 90, 100 years old that are still, they still have erroneous beliefs about faith, about Christ, about religion, about whatever. The Word of God is the standard. Amen. The Word of God is the standard. Let me read this from Spurgeon and we'll move on. We must go to another school and learn of a different instructor. And then, by uprightness, we shall baffle fraud. By simple truth, we shall vanquish deep-laid scheming. And by open candor, we shall defeat slander. A thoroughly straightforward man, devoid of all policy, is a terrible puzzle to the diplomatists. They suspect him of a subtle duplicity through which, they, through which they cannot see, while he, indifferent to their suspicions, holds on the even tenor of his way and baffles all their arts. You know what basically that's saying for the, in modern lingo? It's saying all the wise wisdom of the, this world, all the wise of this world, they scheme, they plot, they plan, and they project that scheming upon the honest, good Godly, God-fearing people thinking that they're, they're scheming just like the worldly people are scheming and they're not. And it baffles them. It baffles them when just you're honest, upright, straightforward, love the truth. I thought it was a pretty good quote. Really timely. Look at verse 101. I refrain my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy, thy word. Now, I don't know why this stuck out to me, but the word evil stuck out to me in this verse. So I asked myself a question. What is an evil way? Define evil. Who or what determines what is evil? Who or what determines what is evil? You see, here's the thing. There are two different definitions of evil in this, in this society. There's society's definition, and there's, there's the scriptural definition. Somebody tell me what is kind of a, a go-to definition of evil from society, from society's point of view. Okay, David? <laughs> That's the extreme form, right? <laughs> That's the only thing that is evil. Anybody else? Remember, I mentioned postmodernism. And I know that's a, you know, kind of a fancy, fancy term, but we live in this period where postmodernism thought is very strong. One of the... One of the uh, Characteristics of postmodernism is this. It's called what Brother Burgess mentioned, relativism. Which means, relativism means there is no objective moral truth. 
There's nothing that is true at all times in all places. That's relativism. Okay, so here's, because of relativism, that means there is no standard by which we can say this is right and this is wrong. And so, since they've torn down that foundation, which that's not a scriptural truth, we'll get to that in a minute. Since they've torn down their foundation, they have to have another foundation for what is evil. You know, I, I still remember, I still remember a George W. Bush after 9-11. How many times did he and the politicians describe, how did they describe the, the terror attacks in 9-11? It was like, they didn't talk about it at all, and then all of a sudden, they started using the word evil. That was evil. But you know what they did not mean? They did not mean when they, said that, when they said that, that it was something that God especially hated or something that was violative of God's law. No, 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 no. When they said evil, they were referring to how many people those terrorists killed. That's what they were talking about. In other words, what I'm trying to say is the definition of evil in this world simply means that which brings harm upon others. Brother Burgess hinted at it. If it doesn't harm anyone else, it's not evil because you have no moral standard. This says, I've refrained my feet from every evil way. That's this world, this society's definition of evil. If, however, on the other hand, the Scripture defines what is evil. You know what's going to happen? There are going to be times that things that do not harm other people might be judged as evil. There might be times that things that do harm other people are judged as not evil or good. And, there, and it reminds us, if the scriptural definition of evil is true then that tells us that we are each accountable ultimately to God regardless of who we hurt. The Bible is clear. God is the lawgiver, the judge, and the one to whom we are ultimately accountable. So it's really not, although this matters, it's not about the victim, the person we hurt or harm. That's not the, judge, that's not the standard. It's about God. We shall all, every one of us, shall give account of himself to God. And so this idea, how many times have I heard this? Well, you know, it's, it's so, I hate it. Oh, I hate this kind of sissified talk. Well, you know, what they do in the privacy of their own home is their business. Okay? Correct. I'm not going to go into their home and inspect what they do because I don't care enough. But God is. God is going to go into that privacy of that home and that dark room and he's going to see what's happening. And he's not just going to pass over it and be like, well, it's in the privacy of your own home, so it's okay. No, no, no. His standard is his word. Amen. You see that? Well, they're not hurting anyone. They're consensual adults. I'm, these are words we hear a lot, right? They're consensual adults. How can we tell them it's wrong? Because God said it's wrong. Doesn't matter if they're consenting. Doesn't matter if there's no victim. So we think... What are some acts that do not harm others, but God says are evil? Consensual sexual promiscuity. Amen. Sexual activity before you get married. Yeah. Adultery. Homosexuality. Yeah. 
drunkenness in private. You sit at home, you might not be near anyone. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna drink your liquor until you're drunken, you're passed out, nobody's near you, you wake up the next day with a hangover, you didn't hurt anybody. It's still a sin. And it's still wrong, and it's still displeasing to God. Amen. Right? You didn't hurt anybody. Worship of idols. You have a little idol. I'm thinking of Cambodia, of course. You have a little idol at your house. Of course, none of you have that, I'm sure. But, well, you do it in private. God sees it. God is the standard. That's the point. What about jealousy in the heart? Envy in the heart? Thoughts of vengeance and hatred in the heart. Those don't touch anyone unless you act upon them. And God says they're evil. Right? It's evil. But then there are some things that are actually good or definitely not evil that this world and its society says is evil. Capital punishment. Capital punishment harms another person, right? And that's the basis for people condemning it. It harms another person. But hold on. God says that a person who takes man's life by man should his, should his blood be shed. So God says that's not evil if that person is guilty. Despite the fact that it harms someone. You think about all the times God judged nations. That was harm. And now, and now we're getting really into the weeds. What about harvesting resources for industry? Like cutting down trees for human development. Think about all those animals who are dehomed. Now, look, we have, we have responsibility from God. We are, God has made hum, humankind to be the, the supreme creature of his creation. And so we must steward the resources God gives us. But it is not wrong to cut down trees. Amen. It is not wrong to cut down trees. The squirrels just have to find another place to go. And I'm, I'm not trying to mock, but... The idea that it's morally wrong to use the resources God has given us in, in His creation is false. Carbon dioxide emissions. And of course, that's built upon an entire series of, of uh, premises, premises that we must accept about climate change and all that. But put that aside, in that case, the environment itself is considered to be another person who is receiving harm, and therefore it's wrong. You see that? Or the perceived that the idea that we're accepting this and so by doing it, we're bringing harm upon other human beings. And that's, that's debatable, right? But see, it's wrong. You see? What are we talking about? We're talking about postmodernism, relativism, the standard by which something is good or evil. In the scripture, it's clear. The standard is what God says, period. Regardless of where it's done, who it's, who's, who it's done by, regardless of this, this world's philosophy. I'm telling you, there are two different foundations we see in the Scripture. One is the, the Christian's worldview, and one is this world's worldview. And it is totally different. We truly are pilgrims and strangers in this world. Now, I say all that, I just want to be careful about understands. I'm not talking about politics here. I'm talking about... I'm this, is, this goes down to the very core of our faith system, what we believe, what we value. 
and that should be informed by God's word, Amen. right? So when we say, I have refrained my feet from every evil way, we got to know what evil is. How do we define it? How do we know what is evil and what is good? And that ultimately goes back to God's word. All right, let's pray together.